Well, good evening. It's great to be here. Great to see you all. So I think you were just handed um, a little flyer with some notes. And if so, praise the Lord, you have them. Um, I'll just let you know right now, um, if I miss a couple of things that are on your notes um, during my teaching and I go elsewhere, then that's the Lord just moving me in a different direction. So uh, I don't really teach by notes per se, but I think it is somewhat important to have at least a guideline as to some of the things that we're going to be looking at tonight. And um, so if I miss it, you have it in your notes. You can research it later. If I happen to skip over a scripture, that's my disclaimer, you guys. Bear with me. And uh, we've got our work cut out for us tonight. We are going to be covering four churches tonight in Revelation chapter 2. So we do not want to miss anything that the Lord has for us. But again, we can't be here all night. I mean, we could. We could go till midnight if anyone's down, but uh, I don't think uh, the majority would be down for that. I have one taker, so, <laughs> so uh, I'm going to go ahead and just open us up in prayer, and then we will get started, you guys. Father, again, we just want to thank you so much for this time, Lord, to just reflect on you, Father, and, and just really relax and just sit back and and just sink into, Lord, your goodness, and, and Lord, just what you have for us, Father. As we begin a study, Lord, into uh, you revealing who you are uh, to the church, Lord, um, Lord, we realize that we are the church. We are in the, the church age, and Lord, that's speaking uh, to us directly, even today. So, Lord, I pray that you would just move mightily. Father, I pray that these wouldn't be the words of rivers drown, but they would be the words of, of you, Jesus, speaking through me, Lord, to the hearts of the people, Lord. Maybe we all leave this place tonight blessed, Lord, as we ponder uh, just these things that you have brought up, Lord, um, in this awesome book that, that we have before us, Lord a blessing that is promised to us by the reader and the hearer, Father, of it. And Lord, that's all of us here tonight. So Lord, we praise you. May you be magnified tonight in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. amen. Well, let's get to it. Revelation chapter 2. We are beginning the second part of this book, the book of Revelation. The second part being chapters 2 and 3, which deals with um, Christ revealing himself to the church. Now, we're going to speak specifically in these chapters of seven churches. Tonight, chapter two, we will cover four of them. We've got some good ground to cover, but I, I really do believe that we'll be able to pull some good things out of each of these churches because there's a couple of different things going on here. First of all, when we're talking about the letters that, are, that we're reading, the letters that went out to these seven churches, there's a few things that we have to understand uh, that's going on. First, the churches are going to be spoken to in a local perspective. And what I mean by that is that the churches locally during that time are going to receive letters of commendation from the Lord 
and then some of them will actually have uh, indictments against them of what's going on in those churches locally. That means in that day, in that time. And uh, there's going to be uh, certain uh, historical eras, if you will, or periods that we will line out um, as we go through it. But the churches will be spoken to uh, locally, but then they will also be spoken to uh, even the church today. So locally, those churches were spoken to during that time period, but the messages are actually speaking to the church today. Churches even today have these same things happen in them even to this day. And these are things that we need to be aware of. These are things that we need to um, even ask ourselves congregationally, okay, have these things happened to us or are we prone to these certain things as well? But then finally, the letters that we will be reading to is basically speaking to you and I personally because we are the church. You and I are the church. We're the bride of Christ. And so when we read these letters, we're, we're looking at it from a historical perspective because as John wrote these letters, he was writing from his perspective prophetically. It was prophecy because these things were going to take, pay, take place throughout church history, meaning from that time all the way till uh, even into the 1500s, if you will, all of church history, even to present day. So it was prophecy for him as he was writing these letters and these things would be addressed to the churches. But for us looking back, what is it? It's history. We've seen throughout the centuries, these things have come uh, to pass and they've actually come true. So from John's perspective, it was prophecy. From our perspective, looking back, it's history. Nonetheless, these things are true and have happened. But what's interesting to us tonight, what we need to take away from is we have to ask ourselves, are these things happening in our church? And then even more personally, are they happening in my life individually? Because I'm the church, you're the church. And so these are things that we ask ourselves as we go along. Rhetorical questions that don't really require an answer out loud, but one that we must ask ourselves, am I prone to that? Lord, that's an indictment against that church in this day locally, but is it an indictment to our church even today? Or Lord, is it an indictment to me and my life personally? Do I struggle with that? Am I prone to that? whatever that case may be. Not all churches got an indictment, and we have one that we will talk about tonight that did not as we get along. But let's get started. Chapter 2, Revelation. This is John uh, writing down everything that Jesus was speaking. Again, these are red letters, so this is Jesus speaking to him. Jesus says to him, verse 1, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, Remember angel, we talked about that last time. Angel meaning, in other words, the pastor of these churches. Remember, seven churches in Asia Minor, which is present-day Turkey, these churches were literally on a Roman mailing route. And as we look at these churches, they're sort of somewhat uh, chronologically listed for us 
as we go along on this mail route, and we start off with Ephesus. But when it says there to the angel, we're talking about the literal pastor of that particular church, John, of course, being overseer of all of those churches. The church we're talking about now, Ephesus, this would have been around the time period in church history of from 33 AD to about 100. And this is the time frame in which we're talking. And things are already starting to come up. Remember, the church is brand new. Chapter 1, we talked about how, what, what did we see? We saw Christ resurrected. So he has resurrected. The church was born. And now here we are uh, writing. This writing would have taken place somewhere around 97 A.D., and so what we're seeing here is there's already things in the church that are happening that Christ wants to reveal, and he, he, ha he does that through these letters. He tells them, write to Ephesus in verse, two, or excuse me, verse 1, these things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, Verse 2, Jesus gives a commendation. He says, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not, and have found them liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my namesake, and have not become weary. I know your works, he says. I know you've labored. I know you're patient. You've persevered through the hard times. And you, you don't bear with those, those ones that speak evil and, and evil doctrine. He, he says, I know you've, you've taken very careful uh, time to root out those ones that would come in with false doctrine and false teachings, those false prophets. I know you have done that. You've, you've done great in that. And he's commending them for those things. Your works, your labor, your patient, your endurance through hardships. Not, not putting up with false doctrine that wanted to kind of creep into the church. People who had agendas would, would speak uh, lies, basically. He says that you found them to be liars. So I've seen that, Jesus says, and for my namesake, you have not become weary. That's the commendation. However, verse 4, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. You've left your first love. Not lost it. You haven't lost your first love, but you've left it. You've drifted away from your first love. What does that mean to us? Does it mean that we don't love people as much anymore? It could be, perhaps. But perhaps we find ourselves not really having that that fire in our heart, just that, that initial, you remember when you first became a Christian, you were just so on fire, you just wanted to explode, and you just couldn't do enough for the Lord, you couldn't talk enough about him, and, and you just had that, just that, that just fire in your belly, 
and, and you just were so excited. And what happened? Has that gone away? Do you not have that anymore? And if so, when did you lose it? That would be the question. Is that us as a church? Is that you as an individual? Has that fire kind of dimmed? Has it kind of gone away? Oh, it's not that you're not a Christian still. It's not that you don't come to church regularly. It's not that you're not involved in ministry. It's just that where's that fire? Where's that love? Where's that ambition, That just that excitement? Is that still there? Um, we do have a good illustrative story. That's found in 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. You'll see that in your notes. And basically what it is is when Elisha, you guys remember this story, Elisha uh, and his servants and his students, they were building onto their facility. And when they were doing that, one of the students of Elisha was chopping away at a tree and they were adding on an addition. And right there next to the River Jordan, as he was chopping away with that axe on this tree, um, the axe head goes flying off of the handle. And where did it end up? Kerplunk. In the river. And this was a problem because he says, alas, my Lord, I lost the axe head. And I'm paraphrasing. And he, it's lot, but it's borrowed See, that's a problem. He borrowed it. It wasn't even his. And so now he's really on the hook. And Elisha says to him, okay, take me back to where you last had it. And he goes, well, I, it was back here. And so they went back. And as they went back to the location where he had lost it, Elisha broke off a branch of a tree and he threw it into the river. And guess what? You remember what happened. That miracle took place. That axe head come floating to the surface. He says, reach out and grab it. There it is. But what if the guy noticed that it was missing, but he just kept hacking away at the tree without the axe head? Oh man, he was working really hard and it's, it looks like he's doing a lot and, and he just, working and making noise and everything. Hey, guys, I'm fine, and, and it's all good. And he, but where would be the effectiveness? It's, it's like he lost what he once had. That effective spirit that he once had, um, now it's, he's, his effectiveness is gone. And it's sobering because what Elisha said was, well, let's go back. Where did you lose that cutting edge? Where did you lose that ax head? Let's go back to where you lost it. And that is the picture right there. That's the idea. If we ask ourselves as an individual, we ask ourselves, wow, the Lord would be saying, where did you lose that first love? Where did you, where did you lose that fire? Was, did you have that fire back when you were just in your word every single morning, devotions religiously, just every, every morning, twice a day perhaps? Or was it when you just were driving to work and you had worship music playing and you were just worshiping the Lord on your drive to work? And maybe over time, you know, those things have kind of, you get busy, right? We can even get so busy in ministry sometimes that 
man, we're just, we're trying to do the, the nuts and bolts of ministry, and we want to get this done and get that done. We get so focused on the workings of ministry and church and all that sort of thing that we get wrapped up in that. Instead, our eyes get drifted onto those things rather than that excitement we had at the very beginning. And that's what the Lord's saying is like, go back to whatever it was that caused that excitement, that love, and that fire for me. Go back to wherever that was and go back to that first love. What does he say there? Verse five, remember therefore from where you have fallen. Where'd you lose it? Repent and do the first works. Do whatever it was you were doing where you had that fire, that excitement. What were you doing? Only you can answer that question as an individual. And we have to think back. If, if we've lost that, if we just have that dullness and that fire's kind of gone out, perhaps our eyes are on things of just life itself and the business and work and, and, and all that or, or our ministries and, and all of the rest. He says, just go back to where you were, where you had that fire. Go back, he says, and, and he says, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But this you have, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He says, but this you do have is that you, you don't give in to those Nicolaitan guys. Well, what, who are they? There was a group of people, it seems, that would creep into the church and they would sort of become the spiritual leaders, if you will, or the spiritual advisors of the day. And they kind of, you know, subtly came in, but they would tell you and kind of lord over their position, if, the, if you will, uh, who you could marry and, and what job you could have and where you could go and what you could do. And, and it's like, no, no, no. In other words, sort of taking the place of the Lord himself. Wouldn't, wouldn't we rather have the Lord advise us, Jesus, our Savior, to uh, direct us in those types of decisions? These Nicolaitan guys, they kind of took that upon themselves and put their pla themselves in that place. And what does the Lord say? He says, I hate that. He, that's, that's for me to guide your life. I want you to be tuned in and listen to me for those important decisions where to go, what to do, who to marry. Th those are important. Not, not some uh, group of people here who would take that spot over me. He says, you hate the deeds of them, and, and that's what I also hate, he says. And he says here in verse 7, and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes... I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. Who's this for? Who is this message for? Oh, it's just for them locally back in that day. It's good history for us. No, it says here, he who has an ear, verse 7, let him hear what the Spirit says. Do you have an ear here tonight? <laughs> 
Do you have two? Then it's double for us, right? We have ears, we're hearing this, and guess what? It's just as real for them then as it is for us today. This message is for us. If we find ourselves in a place where we're just kind of heavy laden with uh, ministry or the, the things of the Lord or reading our Bible is such a labor or whatever the case may be, if we're finding ourselves drifting into that mentality, he says, hey, remember when you were excited? Remember when you couldn't wait to crack open my word? Remember when you sang worship songs all the time? Remember, remember that? Yes, Lord, I, I remember. Then go back to it. Get back there and do that again. Whatever that was for you, do it again. And I'm telling you what, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to put a fire in you, and you'll be rejuvenated in me, and you'll be, you'll be fired up. Get back to where you lost it. Well, moving on to our next church, we're moving quite rapidly here, but that's good. Verse 8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last, who was dead and came to life. This is a next, the next portion of church history. This would have been around the dates of 100 AD to 312. Uh, remember, this is prophetic writing for John. This is history for us looking back. So these are things that were, if not were happening, we're going to, and we've seen that those have throughout the church history. But Smyrna is an interesting church because there's no indictment against them. The Lord has no indictment against them. Smyrna, the word Smyrna comes from the word myrrh. And remember, that's one of the three gifts that Jesus received from the kings or uh, at his birth. Remember, what did Jesus get? He got gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Right, That's the three gifts that the, the wise men brought him. And myrrh is interesting because myrrh is a, a spice that releases its fragrance, but only when it's crushed. When the fragrance and when that spice is crushed, then, oh, man, then you smell the fragrance is released, which is interesting because the three gifts that came to Jesus from these wise men. Gold, right? Gold is for kings. Frankincense was for priests. And that all makes sense to us, right? Great gifts. Gold, who doesn't want gold? For kings, that makes sense to us. King of kings, Lord of lords. Frankincense were, was for priests. Jesus is our high priest. But myrrh, that was a, a burial spice. And that's interesting because could you imagine you have a baby shower and someone shows up and I, I got you three gifts. Oh, wonderful. Thank you. Well, what's the first one? Well, it's a crib and this is a really good crib. Oh, thank you. We're going to need that. Oh, thank you. Man, 
What's the second gift? Oh, it's a baby cam. Oh, neat. That's cool. That, that way we can keep an eye on the baby at night. And Yeah, okay, cool, awesome. What's the third gift? Oh, this one's good too. It's uh, formaldehyde. Wait, what? What's that third one? Oh, formaldehyde. That, that embalms the body after death. Get out of my house now and don't come back. Would you not kick them out of your home? What do you think? You, you're bringing a burial-type embalming. That's a gift for my baby? But see, for Jesus, that was literally his destiny. God sent his only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. That was his destiny, to die on the cross for us. And this myrrh, this, it's, it's crushed and when it's crushed, the fragrance is released, and you smell it. It's like, oh. And remember, they would, they would come to uh, put that on Jesus' body in the tomb. But what happened? Oh, he wasn't there. He wasn't there. And that is what's so cool about the book of Revelation, because a Jesus we haven't seen yet in Scripture is revealed in Revelation. He's our risen Lord and Savior, the first and the last, the Alpha and the Omega. He's king. He's triumphant. And he's the one when John, John turned around and what he saw, he almost couldn't handle it and he fell flat on his face. That's the Jesus we see. And that Jesus is saying, listen to me, church. I have some things for you. I have some commendations for you that I want to I wanna bless you with. I, I see that you're doing this and that and works and perseverance and long-suffering, and you, you can't stand those that are teaching false doctrines, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful. Thank you. But I also have some things that you need to fix, I'm seeing. You need to fix. But when it comes here, let's, let's look back. Verse 9, I know your works, tribulation, and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. There's a lot to unwrap there, but basically what he's saying is, look, I know your tribulations that you're going through. Jesus told us that we would suffer tribulations in this life. I know I see your poverty. I see your heartache. I see your burdens. I do. The blasphemies against you. The persecutions. Remember, guys, the church in this time was suffering intense persecution. Intense persecution. Persecution that you and I will probably never see, thankfully. And Jesus is saying, I see all of that. But he says, verse 10, do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison and that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful until death and I will give you the crown of life. He says, I see what you're going through. I see your heartache. 
your poverty, the persecution, the hardship. I, I see that. But he says, don't be afraid because there's more suffering coming. Oh, thanks, Lord. <laughs> more? Yeah, more. But I'm going to see you through. Do not be afraid of what is coming. Well, what was coming? He said again, he says, the devil's about to throw some of you into prison so that you may be tested. Your faith will be tested. Literally, their faith. They were Christians being persecuted. Oh, you're one of those, huh? Well, we'll, we'll test that and see... Uh, We'll see if you really believe what you say you believe. Here comes more persecution. Being thrown in prison, it says there, having a will be in tribulation for 10 days. We're not completely sure what that means. It, it could be figurative. It could be representative of the, the 10 Roman emperors that lived during this time frame in church history from 100 to 312 A.D., um, that's most likely what it's representing. But the point is this, is that during that time frame, massive persecution was happening, being thrown into prison, husbands being dragged out away from the home, children being taken, massive persecution going on. But what does he say, say there? He says what? He goes, I'm going to put an end to it. No. These people were being crushed quite literally. And he says, there's more coming. Don't fear. And he says, but do this. Be faithful unto the end. Be faithful even until death. And he says, and I'll give you a crown of life. He doesn't say he's going to remove the persecution. He doesn't say that he's going to remove the pain the poverty. He says, no, he says the opposite. He says, you just be faithful until the end. Wow. That's, is that encouraging? Are you being crushed? Let's look at it from an individual perspective. Ask yourself, are you going through a crushing all sides of life are crashing in around you, and you feel crushed. Whatever's going on in your life, you feel like, oh, no, I can't take another minute of this. I'm suffering, Lord. Don't you see? Yes, I see. Lord, I cry out to you. Do you hear? Yes, I hear. And there's more coming. Lord, no. Take it away. No. My grace is sufficient. You endure till the end. Well, when's the end? When I say, but when's that? I'm doing something in your life right now. Are you being crushed? Are you being tormented? Are you, and, and guys, that's exhausting. It can wear on you. Is there going to be, Lord, my grace is sufficient. And Jesus says, what I need you to do is be faithful till the end. 
whenever that is, whenever I decide that will be. Deuteronomy 29, 29, the secret things belong to the Lord. And those things belong, if he reveals them to us, they belong to us and our family forever. But if he doesn't, they're his secrets. And the point is this, he's doing a work in your life if that's what's going on with you right now. He's doing something in your life that's so amazing that when that crushing's happening, guess what? Eventually, and I don't know when, only God knows, there will be a fragrance released that everyone will be able to take part in and enjoy. Is that happening to the church? Some might say, yes, in this day and age, the, the church feels like it's been crushed last couple of years with things that have gone on politically and whatnot. But is it happening in your life? Are you being crushed? Are things happening that you don't understand? You want an end to it. Lord, take it away. Not yet. In fact, there might be more. But I'm doing something. You stay faithful to the end and I'll give you a crown of life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. That's you and me. We have ears, and we just heard that. That's us. Speaks to us today. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. You got to overcome it. Well, what's the second death? If a person dies without receiving Jesus as their Savior, receiving that free gift that Jesus did uh, paid on the cross, by the shedding of his blood. If someone refuses that gift, refuses salvation, refuses Jesus, and dies, they die without knowing him. They die without eternal life. They, they die. They go to hell. And that is the reality. At the end of the millennium, which we will get there, chapter 20, keep coming back, guys. We've got about 19 weeks or 18 to go. Um, but when we get to the end of the millennium, the non-believer is resurrected. And they're resurrected, they get a brief break, a momentary break in the anguish and the torment that they've been suffering because of their rejection of Christ. And they're taken to the, the great white throne judgment where their deeds and their life are judged before the Lord. And ultimately, what's going to come at the end of that will be a determination of their rejection of Christ, his work he did for them on the cross. They rejected that, and because of that, they will be cast into outer darkness. That's the second death. But those, he's saying, you guys who stay the course, who have accepted me, who I live in your heart, and you stay true, he says, the second death will have no effect on you. That's what he's saying right here. You will not be hurt by the second death. Now on to our next church. Verse 12, and to the angel of the church of Pergamos, write, these things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. This church would have been the next church history or the next church era 
would have been around 312 to 600 AD. And remember we talked about the 10 emperors. Uh, we talked in the last couple of verses there about tribulation for 10 days, perhaps meaning those 10 emperors that ruled bringing um, persecution to the church. There was one, the final, ten, the, the tenth emperor that passed away, left a power vacuum, if you will. And the next guy that was in line, he saw something that not many were able to explain. And that is what he saw was that Christians did not enlist in any army. And so he thought about that for a moment. And as history has it, he became a Christian himself because he saw potential there. He was coming up to power and he had uh, taken the reins of uh, power of uh, the, being the emperor. And as he saw a battle that he wanted to get involved in, he felt like he couldn't because he was vastly outnumbered. So seeing the Christians, seeing that they didn't really enlist, he's like, how do I get them? How do I recruit them? So he thought, I'll become one. And he did. And his name is Constantine. He was an emperor in Rome, and he became a Christian. He converted to, uh, to become a Christian. And sure enough, it, it sort of worked because the Christians sort of rallied with him. And what had happened was he began to get pressure, though, from as he was initiating Christianity into the rule of Rome, basically making it uh, a law that if babies were born, they had to be baptized right away and raised as Christians, which ironically sort of put an end to the Christian persecution at this point in time. But he was getting a lot of pressure, though, from his counterparts or his fellow brethren, the Romans, because there was traditions that they had, although pagan, pagan traditions, uh, worshiping false gods, of course, and, and their false pagan practices. So he was getting it from both sides. He wanted the Christians because he wanted to have that array of fresh troops for his army, but at the same time, he couldn't abandon completely the, uh, the religious um, acts or the forbidden fornication, paganism, that kind of permeated Rome at the same time. So what his thought was, okay, I'll meet you halfway. And this is where we see a church that had politics mixed in with the church itself, politics coming in with the church to have a political power. And that's exactly what took place. And so this is what's being uh, talked about when it comes to this church, a little bit of history behind that. And ironically, too, uh, the coin uh, for currency that was made during that time frame actually had one side with Christian symbols on it, and the other side had Roman pagan symbols. So quite literally, we have... Um, a union that shouldn't be. Um, right there, 
we have there in the notes uh, the word per, when it comes here, it's pergamos. Per in the Greek means opposition. Gamos means marriage. So you have a marriage in opposition, and that's where we're talking about these two sides. We're talking about the Christians, and then we're talking about how he said, I'll meet you halfway with his Roman brethren and bringing in the paganism as well, and the politics, church, state, union doesn't mix as we get into it here. These things says he who has a sharp two-edged sword, verse 13. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr who was killed among you where Satan dwells. You held fast to my faith. Even when Antipas, one of your own, he was martyred for his faith. Antipas was a physician, according to historians, a physician who would not uh, bend the knee to paganism. He didn't, uh, he, he stayed strong to his faith and he was killed for it. He became a martyr. And even that, that didn't scare you, the Lord would say. You held strong even where Satan dwells. But I have, verse 14, a few things against you because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Mm. You guys might remember that story. Remember back in Numbers chapter 22, that idea, that doctrine of Balaam. Remember Balaam was that prophet for profit, play on words. But he was literally paid by um, uh, a king to curse the Israelites. Back in Numbers, what had taken place was this king uh, saw this vast number of people coming to his land. And he says, oh, man, them and their cattle, they'll lick up all the grass in this whole area. He says, we want them gone. And so he goes to this prophet, Balaam. And you remember Balaam because he's famous for having the, the, the talking donkey. Remember that? And he was trying to go down the road, and the angel was there. He couldn't see the angel. Balaam couldn't. But the donkey could, and the donkey was stomping and, and trying to get away. You ornery donkey, come on. And uh, scraped up against the wall, hurt his leg, and he cursed at the donkey, and the donkey spoke to him and says, why are you so mean to me? I'm paraphrasing. And the crazy thing is Balaam spoke back. He talked back to him. He answered. This didn't seem weird to him, a donkey talking to you? What would happen if your animals spoke to you? Someone said, they do. Is that weird? No. Anyway, but that's what he's kind of famous for. That's a famous Bible story. We have fun when we teach that to the kids. But the point is this. He went, God told him not to, but Balaam did anyway. 
And he went to the top of the mountain and he saw the vast amount of Israelites down there and he goes to curse and you know what happened? Only blessings come out. And the king who hired him, oh, what are you doing? Blessing him, I told you to curse him. <sighs> okay, well, let's go over to that mountain over there. Okay, cool, so they go over there. <clears throat> and he goes to curse them and only blessings come out. Oh, what are you, did you not understand? They go to another, same thing, this happens three times and only blessings come out and Balaam's like, I, I can't do it. I tried. He says, but you know what? Here's how you get them. Well, what? You have your Moabite women come into the camp and kind of mingle with the, the boys and the fellas. And you know what happened? Yeah, it was a stumbling block. They got involved into with these women that had uh, pagan beliefs and got involved with them physically, sexually, and it brought sexual immorality to the camp. And that's what he's talking about here. There's something going on with you guys. I have this against you. The doctrine of Balaam causing the children of Israel to eat, eat things that were sacrificed to idols and to commit sexual immorality. This should not be in the church. Spoken to them locally. Spoken to us in the church today. Spoken to us individually. These things, real things. Things were going on in the churches even way back then. Church was off to an early start and already starting to go off the rails, become a mess. And even years and years and years later, we see churches today. Are these types of things happening in churches today? Are these things happening in your life? You know, that's the one thing that the Lord just couldn't stand just went through the book of Jeremiah. And boy, I tell you what, idolatry. Nope, I'm not gonna stand for that. I am your God, the one and only God. There will be no other God before me, he says. He goes, I wanna be your God. I love you. That's my place. And these people were, were eating food that had been sacrificed to idols and somehow that seemed okay allowed to go on, verse 15. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of uh, the Nicolaitans. Again, there they are again. These people that want to rule your life, tell you who to marry, where to go, what job to work, and, and we'll be your spiritual advisors, taking the place of the Lord. No. Which thing I hate. He says that twice. He must really hate that. I believe him. Verse 16, repent. Or, as, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, that's you, that's me. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat, and I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. Wow, the Lord will give you a personal name, your own name that only you will know. 
specific to you. How neat. Now, we're doing really good here, guys. You're staying with me. We have another church to cover, one final church for the evening. Verse 18, and it says there, and to the angel of the church of, excuse me, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write, these things says the son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and his feet like fine brass. Ooh, interesting. Do you remember the description of Jesus in chapter one? That's exactly what it was. Eyes like a flame of fire. His feet like fine brass. John turns around and he sees that and he's just like in awe. A risen Jesus, resurrected, triumphant, powerful, in control. And he, all he can do is he just wants to fall down and worship. Oh, Lord. Who can't even look at that. So amazing. Hair white like wool, white as snow. What an image. This would be the church age, the church historical period of around 600 to 1500. Thyatira, what are they about? Verse 19, I know your works, love, service, faith, and your patience. And as for your works, the last are more than the first. So similar commendations. So I, I know your love. I see your works. I see your patience. That's interesting. Patience is mentioned in a couple of churches here. I see your patience. Are you patient? Would you put yourself in the patient category? Or are you like, buy it now, buy now, now, send it now, now, have it here t yesterday, now, buy now? But are you a patient person? That's something we have to ask ourselves. I mean, patient with what? I mean, are we patient with others? Are we patient when, when people not really getting it? You keep coming to church, but you're, are you even hearing the pastor? Isn't it getting through your head? You're still messing up. Are we, are we patient with people? Are we patient with our kids? Are we patient with our parents? Our spouse? Patience is mentioned here a couple of times, and it seems like the Lord says, I see your patience. That's a commendation. And I have to ask myself, man, I don't think I'm patient. <laughs> I, I don't have a lot of patience sometimes. Sometimes I feel like I do, but I can get impatient real quick. Some things get me there real fast. Uh, and I have to just, whoa, check myself. Lord, whew, calm me down. Help me, Lord. And perhaps you find yourself there. It's an interesting thought. He says, I see your patience, and I see your love. That's what it's all about. That's what it's all about. We're talking about this church thing, okay, this Christian thing. And there has to be love. That has to be the biggest thing right there. Do you have, do I have a love for people? I pray all the time, Lord, help me love people. Because naturally, I don't. <laughs> I'm just going to be honest with you guys. 
If it's left up to me, I'm going to be impatient with them. And they're going to sense it. They're going to feel it. And I know I don't want to live like that. My prayer is that I want, Lord, I want to see people the way you do. I want to see people through the eyes of Jesus because Jesus died on a cross for that person. And if he demonstrated that kind of love for that person, well, man, Lord, help me love that person too. Help me to have patience for that person. Help me to persevere. Perhaps they rail against me. Perhaps they wrong me in any way, but Lord, help me love people. Help me to love people. That's a hard thing sometimes for us. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you, verse 20, because you allow that woman, Jezebel, who calls herself a prophetess to teach and seduce my servants to commit sexual immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. So uh, a similar indictment to what we just saw in the previous church. That woman Jezebel, it's interesting because you remember the story of Jezebel. Her father was a high priest to the god goddess Ashtoreth, which was a god of sexuality or sensuality. And so Jezebel ended up marrying Ahab, the king, and that was an arranged marriage, like a treaty coming together. And, and as they came together, they, they got a lot of power because all of a sudden two nations are united in this marriage. So Ahab and Jezebel, and she would have been raised, her, her father being a high priest to the Ashtoreths or Ashtoreth, she would have been raised in that mentality of this uh, sexual offerings to this goddess. She would have thought that that would be just fine. And of course, that would be fornication to the children of Israel. But she brought that with her into this marriage. And you remember one of the famous stories that had taken place. Ahab's kind of down. What's wrong, babe? Well, I want that field, but the guy won't sell it to me. And she's like, well, you're the king. You should have whatever you want. And so he's like, well, yeah. And so she's like, well, so she has a plan. And what she does is she has a couple of guys um, say that the owner of the field had um, blasphemed. And of course, that's a death sentence. And all it was, it was just a, you know, some false accusations, a mock trial, and next thing you know. And so guess what? Well, field's up for grabs. And I give my field my vineyard. Oh, thanks, Jesse. Good idea. There was a union here. It, it was a power grab. And, and so when these two nations came together, this is what she brought with her to the children of Israel, which again, causing them to eat food offered to idols, idolatry, sexual immorality, this crept in. And so that spirit, is, the, Jesus is saying even in this church, that spirit of Jezebel, it's still existing. It's still there. This is still happening, he says. It's quite possible it's believed that this church, Thyatira, was actually founded 
by a woman. Acts chapter 16, you might remember the story where Paul and on his journey, they go out to a riverbank and there's some ladies there uh, next to the river and uh, they strike up a conversation and Lydia is there, a seller of purple cloth, a merchant of expensive purple cloth. And in their talkings, and it becomes clear that Lydia loves what Paul has to say. And it, it seems clear that she became a Christian. So it's quite possible to believe that she actually could be uh, credited with starting this church. Founded by a woman, but the spirit of an evil woman is existing in it. This idolatry, the fornication. In verse 21, and I gave her time to repent of her sexual immorality, and she did not repent. Indeed, I will cast her into a sick bed and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of their deeds. Repent. That's important. If someone doesn't know Christ, number one, they have to understand that they are in need of a, a savior. And then they must repent from their sin. What does that mean to repent? I'll just change a few things in my life. No, it's a 180 degree turn from your old life to repent and turn away from it, walk away from it, run away from it as Joseph would have done. Repent, turn completely away. It says, unless they repent of their deeds. In verse 23, seems like even the children would suffer. I will kill her children with death. And all the churches shall know that I am he who searches the minds and hearts. And I will give to each one of you according to your works. Wow. So there's an indictment, but there's things that are going to come down the pike if repentance doesn't happen. Verse 24, now to you I say, and to the rest in Thyatira, as many as do not have this doctrine, who have not known the depths of Satan, as they say, I will put on you no other burden. It says here, but hold fast what you have till I come. Did you catch that last phrase? Till I come. This is the first time Jesus mentions his return. Hold fast until I come. Very cool. Come for who? The church. Who are we talking about? We're talking to the church. Thyatira specifically here, but he's talking about until I come back for the church. Jesus is coming back. He's coming back for you and me. We're still in this church age. And yes, there were dates here historically that we look back through the portal of time. John, of course, is writing and he's prophesying forward to the portal of time. But we are looking back. And historically, everything he wrote came to pass. And there were periods of time there where we look, but guess what? We're still in that church age. That's why it's so important. That's how we know that these letters, these messages, these commendations, or these indictments are for you and me. Why? Because he who has an ear, let him hear. That's you and me. We're hearing it today. We're still here. Jesus hasn't come back yet, but he's coming. 
He will return for you and me. Verse 26, and he who overcomes and keeps my words until the end, to him I will give power over the nations. He shall rule them with a rod of iron. They shall be dashed to pieces like the potter's vessels, as I also have received from my father, and I will give him the morning star. That's a neat picture. I will give him the morning star. That is the New Testament version of what is mentioned in Malachi chapter 4, verse 2. In Malachi chapter 4, verse 2, you can write this down, look at it later, but it says, um, I will give him the son of righteousness. Son spelled S-U-N, capitalized though. Interesting. The New Testament version of that, which we're seeing here, is the morning star. In other words, I will give him the morning star. Verse 29, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Again, you and me, a reminder. Well, we made it through chapter two. We could keep going. There's lots of details we could draw out, but I think we got the point. And that is this. Chapter one, we see Christ resurrected. We see Jesus revealed in a way that we hadn't seen yet in scripture. And that's exactly what happened when you and I became Christians. Oh, you might have heard Jesus talk, or you might have heard the catchy little phrase, Hey, WWJD. What's up, man? That means what would Jesus do? Oh, here's a bracelet. You know, it's like, oh, and they had a Jesus moment. I don't like that phrase, by the way. Do you? I've heard that a lot where people actually get right with the Lord. They turn from their wicked ways. They repent, just like we talked about. And other people criticize and say, oh, they found Jesus. He had a Jesus moment. That really burns me up when I hear that. I get impatient. But I don't like that because it diminishes what just took place. Someone is realizing that they need a savior. They're realizing that they need to repent. They accept Christ. They're on the road to becoming a Christian or, you know, they're on the road to healing and they get criticized for it at the expense of Jesus. But you may be that person who, you know, we were, before we knew the Lord, we heard phrases like that and we might've even used them and WWJD and all that stuff. But then all of a sudden, we see Jesus for who he is. We were that person who realized we needed a savior and I need to repent. And Jesus come into my heart and all of a sudden, oh my goodness, I see Jesus as a triumphant king, Lord of lords, king of kings, who deserves gold and frankincense. And I just, wow, my mind is blown. Why? Because I saw what John saw. He turned around and what did he see? A great triumphant king. White hair, eyes of a flame, brass feet, a, a, a sight he couldn't hardly bear, and he fell down, and that's what we did. We fell down to our knees and said, Lord, come into my heart. And that's chapter one. And then what happens next? Well, we're the church. 
We became saved, and now that made us part of the church. We were grafted in. We were adopted in. Now, I'm part of this amazing family, the church, and I'm still living in that church age like you are as well. And I'm excited. I'm fired up. Oh, my goodness, Lord, this is amazing. And I feel the release of my sin being forgiven. I don't have guilt anymore. I'm not carrying that around with me. I'm excited about the Lord. I'm telling people about the Lord, and I don't care who hears it, and I'm not going to apologize. Lord, I'm on fire. Thank you for saving me because I was on the road to hell. And because, God, you sent your only son to die on the cross for my sins. Now I have eternal life. I can live with you forever, and I want the whole world to know it, and I'm on fire. And that lasts a while. And then people say, hey, you want to be part of the cleaning ministry? You want to teach Sunday school? Yeah. And then you got to deal with parents and people and clean up after their messes and their spilled coffee and paper towels on the bathroom floor and and you get involved in all this, and then it's like, oh. And, and maybe my devotion life isn't what it used to be. And, 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 and man, where's that fire? Where's that love I had? Or maybe there's other things going on in life. I mean, I still love people, but man. And there's other things that we're seeing in the churches as we go through these. We covered four tonight that I'm seeing myself. And I go, Lord, I repent. <laughs> I repent. Maybe there's an idol in my life. You know, an idol doesn't have to be some carved thing that I, and, and then I eat the crackers I just gave to her. I mean, it, that's. That was what happened in those days, but I could have an idol in my life. An idol is anything that comes between me and my Savior, something that I devote my time to and I devote myself and give myself to before the Lord. And if that becomes more important to me than Christ, whatever it is or whoever they are, then I have an idol in my life. But wait, I'm the church, right? That's why these letters are being written to snap me out of that and go, hey, that shouldn't be in the church. And I don't want it in your life individually. Clean it up. Repent. Repent. And, but, Lord, I'm crushed. You, no one understands what I'm going through. I can't explain it in words. I just know that I feel crushed. My walls are caving in, and I, I'm just in anguish, and I'm crawling, and calling out to you. And you said, yeah, there's more coming. But my grace is sufficient for you. I'm going to see you through. You will make it. Don't give up. Don't quit on me. Read the truth, my word. Speak to those who need to hear the truth and stay the course. And you're going to get a crown of life. The second death will mean nothing to you. You will have a rod of iron and rule the nations. These are promises, folks, that he has for us. And that's where we're at tonight. That's where we leave it. So I'll leave it with this, and I'll get off of the stage. I'm done talking. But we see how these letters speak to the churches locally at that time. We see how they speak to the church even today as a whole congregationally. 
but focus on what are these letters telling you individually as part of the church today? Amen. Lord God, thank you for this. Thank you for the work that you're doing in our lives. Lord, what we just learned tonight, perhaps you are speaking to people's hearts right now. Perhaps they're being crushed, Lord. Perhaps they have idols in their life. Perhaps that fire, that cutting edge they once had that in their walk with you, perhaps that's dull and, and gone. Lord, whatever's going on, Lord, as we read these letters and as we focus and really draw out what we're seeing in these letters, Lord, we want you to just speak to us individually. Lord Jesus, reveal yourself to us. This is not cloak and daggers. It's not secrets and mysteries, Lord. This is your revelation. Lord, you're revealing your heart to us. And Lord, we want to be Christians who put you before everything and anything. Lord, we want to be corrected if we're on a wrong path. That's this church, congregationally, but Lord, individually. If we're wrong, show us. Help us to repent and be right with you. Thank you for the hope, Lord Jesus, that you put in our lives. You're so good. Bless this church. Bless your people. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.